You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Well, welcome to New Heights. I'm Patrick. I am one of the pastors here. And um, I told him in first service this morning that I wore a flannel because I was trying to channel some Will Basham. And then he shows up in a sweater. So his mom's wearing it. So maybe I can channel some Kathy Basham this morning through the sermon. So hopefully we'll be able to see some of that. Um, but welcome to New Heights. Today is our second um, sermon in the Advent series. So we're in the Advent season, and right now we're in a sermon series called The Songs of Ascent. Um, And the Songs of Ascent were basically songs that were sung by worshipers as they traveled to Jerusalem. So it could have been on a pilgrimage, but we know that they were on a journey um, um, to the city of Jerusalem. And the second song of Advent that we're covering today, or second song of Ascent that we're covering through the Advent season is covering the remembering of who provides us help and protection. So I, I was on, I was traveling this week, and I think one thing for me as I was reading through this, I kept jumping back and kind of reverting to this all week long. So I travel quite a bit extensively for my uh, job outside of New Heights. So I was flying to Chicago, and as I'm flying in, pilot comes over the speaker, and he's like, put your seatbelts on, seatbelt sign on, We're about 100 miles and started to make our descent. He said, we're going to be coming into some extremely bad weather. So if you know Chicago, it's called the Windy City. Wind was much worse than what it originally is and normally is. So as we're coming down the land, think of a movie that you've seen turbulence in and people screaming and people thinking that they're going to die. That's what the flight was like for the last like 10 minutes of this thing. It was extremely rough. So as we're coming down, the pilots did a wonderful job. But as we were landing... The plane went completely sideways as we were getting our touchdown, and we slid through the entire runway. So I'm looking around, and people were just holding on to the seats in front of them, and people are, you can see their eyes are closed, and it got me thinking, are they praying? So, you know, are they praying for safety, or are they praying because they got down to safety? And I think that's one thing that we're very acclimated to now, is that we have planes, we have cars, we're able to adequately be taken care of through all of this. So it may seem kind of scary and kind of uh, maybe rough when things like that happen, but we know that, you know, for those instances, planes can handle that type of turbulence and handle that thing when it throws it at it. But it started making me think about this. So these, the psalmist here is on a journey to, to Jerusalem. And I think through the theming that we're going to see today, we're going to see many things to where he turns himself to God. He's going to be able to see where, one, his help comes from. He's going to be able to see who keeps him through the journey, who keeps him safe, and then who preserves or protects him as he's on this journey. Those are going to be the three points we go through to today. Um, But one thing is you're going through this Advent season, and as we're celebrating, the holiday season can be very tough for a lot of people. And I'm hoping that as we go through this sermon series and we go through some of these psalms and, you know, as we talk about hope last week, and as Jeremy comes up in a little bit and does the candle of peace, you're able to see that you can lean on God for the understanding, the protection, and the help that you need to get yourself through this season because I don't want you to lose sight of the gospel through it. And I think sometimes with everything going on and with with the struggles that we may face, it does make it difficult to really focus on the gospel during the season um, if you're going through those times. So let me pray, and then we'll read the Psalms. Father God, we thank you for 
the opportunity, God, and the privilege and honor of being able to come into this building as a body of worshipers. God, coming together with our brothers and sisters and being able to celebrate and praise and, God, just glorify you through our, through our words, through our song. God, we just love you and we are so thankful for the things that you've given us and just these opportunities. God, I pray that as we walk through the sermon this morning that the text is what is heard, that it doesn't lie lightly on the hearts of your people that they listen to it, and as they leave today, God, they are regenerated, and they have a newfound understanding of who you are and how you work in their lives. God, we love you, and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. So starting at verse 1, we're at Psalm 121, so if you have your Bible, you can open it up. If you have your app, you can turn that on. It says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved, but he keeps you will not be he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night, and the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So when we look at verse one, we see that it says, I lift my eye to the hills. And then he proceeds, where does my help come from? So the hills is in reference to the city of Jerusalem, just kind of to put it in perspective from where we're at. So right now we have a, someone who's on a pilgrimage. So the psalmist is heading to the city of Jerusalem um, and Jerusalem sat up on a hill. So there could have been three instances that the psalmist was on his way to Jerusalem. And if you were here last week, then you know that Will preached about them. It was the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths. So the traveler here, or the psalmist, would have been extremely understanding of the road that lay ahead of him. He would have been reminded of the dangers of the travel that he faced. So to kind of put this in perspective, if we look at Luke chapter 10, it's where we find the good Samaritan in the Bible. It's where we find the story of it. That's set on the road to Jerusalem. So we see that the good Samaritan is traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. And along this road, it's an area that they know is stream, extremely dangerous. It's full of bandits. It's full of thieves. So the psalmist would have been extremely well-versed in the dangers that lay ahead of him. He would have been aware of them and would have known what he was heading into. But if the psalmist couldn't see the hills, one thing that was coming into my mind, how close was he? Just because he could see the hills doesn't necessarily mean he was close to the finish line. But it doesn't necessarily mean he was extremely far away either. I think the one thing that we have to look at here is the importance of what he was looking at, but to who he was looking at. You know, his eyes were looking beyond to the one who his hope and his peace are set in. You know, he may not have been close to the city of Jerusalem, but what he realized is that he wasn't far from his God, Jehovah. And church, the same can be said for us. I think we focus too much about sometimes the journey that we're on or the destination we're going through instead of the one who helps us through that destination and that journey. So you may be close to your place of worship, or you may be far away from your goal along the journey, but know that you are never far away from God 
at any point during the trials or struggles or dangers. And God is keeping you and he's caring for you during this time. And this reminded me of the movie Patch Adams. So if you've never seen this movie, Robin Williams plays this character and his name, Patch Adams is just a nickname for him. His real name's Hunter. But basically at the start of the movie, he, he's this gentleman who ends up becoming a doctor. But he spends time in a mental institution because he struggles with potentially harming himself. So there's another guy in there who's a genius. The genius walks around holding four fingers up and he says, how many fingers am I holding up? And every person says four. He's like, that's wrong, that's wrong. And he starts freaking out every time they tell him. So he goes to the next person. He says, how many fingers am I holding up? They tell him exactly how many he's holding up. And he's like, no, that's wrong. We can't do this. So he goes back to his room. Well, later on um, during his stay there, Hunter Adams decides he wants, to go, he wants to know the true number. So as they're sitting in this room, he, he tells him, he said, I want to know. And he's like, all right. So he holds his fingers up and he says, tell me how many fingers I have. He said, you're holding up four. He said, that's wrong. He said, look past them. So when Hunter looks at them and looks past his fingers, he said, you're holding up eight. And he said, that's the number that I'm looking for. So that's what we're reminded of here, that we're not looking to the hills, but the psalmist is looking past the hills to the one who is providing him protection during the journey that he is on. And church, I think this can be a clear understanding for us, is that I, as I hope that it can be a clear understanding for you, is that we can be on a journey in our life that is bumpy, it may be straight, it may be narrow, it may be smooth and easy in your life, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be like that all the time. You can be going down a journey right now that feels like you're going out a country mile that has you on one side of the road and then on the other. But church, let me tell you this. The importance of that is in realizing that God is just as present during your travel as he is in the destination of your journey. When we look at the second verse, says, man, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Church, that's it. That's done. And right there, the sermon could be finished. My help comes from the Lord. Church, that is a reassurance to us as Christians that we can find our help in one place and one place alone. And I think too often as Christians, we like to focus our help on things that are animate or things that are inanimate. We like to call of our friends, we look at our bank account, we focus on our house. We may focus on the car that we drive to a meeting or the car that we drive to dinner tonight. And we may look at that and focus on that and that's where our help is coming from because it's coming from the job that allows us to have that. But church, this is telling us that our help comes from the Lord. Our help is in the creator of heaven and the creator of earth. Church, this should be encouraging to every single one of us. I want you to think of it this way. There may be times in your life where you feel helpless. There may be times in your life where you felt lost, where you feel the, the path you were on, the things you were doing are wrong. Nothing you can do can get you back onto the right track. You may not pick up your Bible on a daily basis. You may not pray on a daily basis. You may not come to church every Sunday. 
You may have missed opportunities to share the gospel to those around you, but let me, you know what? That's okay. Because God knows we can't be perfect because God himself is where our perfection comes from. And there's a beauty to that. And I think we, we get so focused on the journey itself that we forget to realize that there's this complexity to that understanding. I think we forget that Jesus is constantly making an intercession on our behalf. Not just ours, but mine as well and yours. You know, the confidence in that brings is paramount because there's nothing that you can do that Jesus can't. We spend so much time running away that God draws us back. We continue to be a depraved people, and what happens? God sent his son to draw us back into the realms of his family. From the New Testament back to the Old Testament, there is not one person who sought after Jesus or sought after God. He is constantly running after us. And when we forget that, we lose sight of the journey itself. He himself is the one who provides us help. He is the one who provides us hope. He provides us peace. And when we forget that, we need to be reminded of that specifically. It says, he made heaven and he made earth. He is the one who made the world from nothing, and he did it by simply speaking it into existence. Church, that is an amazing, good, and great God that we serve. And it's beautiful. But we fail to run to him in times of need. If we serve a God who created everything from heaven to earth, why would we not run to him in the darkest, deepest moments of our life? We put too much focus on the world around us instead of the God who created and formed us. We forget that we serve a powerful and sufficient and sovereign God who is literally everything at his beck and call. Anything that we can need, anything that we could want, God is there to help us with that. He's there to help us through the times. He's helped us to keep us in the moments, but he can also release us from those moments as well. And he does that all by providing the help that we should seek from him. Point two is God keeps you. Starting in verse three and four says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. There's this transition here from first person to second person. The psalmist just seemingly makes it easy going from me to your. So he says, God is my help, but God won't let your foot be moved. Essentially, he could also say, God is your help, and he won't let my foot be moved. What we see here is that there's this understanding of the steadfastness of God that we have to have, that we should be grounded and rooted in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. And I'm reminded of one of our members here. Lydia plays for his basketball team. John Atkins is the coach. One of the first things he tells them at every practice, as soon as they pick the ball up from dribbling so they don't get 
a penalty called on them. He says, keep your foot in the mud. Keep your foot grounded. Because if not, it's going to affect you and it's going to affect the team. And I think when we lose focus of the steadfastness that we have through Jesus, that can be an implication that we have as well. And I think that's great assurance for us in our faith. We're constantly being reminded of the steadfastness in Jesus, but also through him. Because church, being a Christian is difficult. And we have to have the understanding of steadfastness in our life. Too many things in this world are easy to draw our attention away from our path as a Christian, to pull us away from the goals that we have. But we are reminded of the firm foundation that we have in his goodness, in his power, his never-ending promises. Every story we see from Genesis to Revelation, we see the never-ending promises that are always kept through Christ. And with our trust in Jesus, we have a future that is cemented in his permanent steadfastness, and that should bring you peace in your life. But what this doesn't mean is that we should stray away from the things in our life that make us uncomfortable. I think we have too often of an inclination or a propensity to make us walk away from those moments that feel awkward and uncomfortable to us. We may see someone who we know is not a Christian, and we're like, ah, Today's not the day to go talk to them. I have too much to do. Then we make an excuse the next time we see them. We're like, I don't want to talk to them about it today either. But God is consistently putting you in those moments to make you uncomfortable because through that uncomfortableness, your faith grows. And I think that's something we need to be cognizant of is that we cannot grow unless we are uncomfortable. We must continually walk this path of evangelism and sharing the gospel. It's what Jesus tells us. Go into the ends of the earth, baptize everybody in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Baptize everybody and preach my gospel. It's what our call comes down to. But too often are we too busy to make time for that, God, for that, um, for that in our life. Too often are we too busy to move in progress, but we allow ourselves to be overthrown and to allow the persecution to exist. We have to continually walk in the path of evangelism and sharing the gospel in a way that is never wavering, but is always fruitful. And that first conversation is never easy, but every subsequent conversation you have after that will eventually get easier as you move along the path. Spurgeon says this. He says, our feet shall move in progress, but they shall not be moved to overthrow. Constantly moving is our goal. But how can we be ready for that? How can we be prepared to not be overthrown or for what comes in our life and what comes in our way? As believers, we're reminded in these principles in Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the vials of the devil. Ephesians 6.13 follows up by saying, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, 
having done all just to stand. Church, we're rooted in the principles that we find in the scriptures. And too often we run away from those principles because it's so easy for us to. We make excuses to run away from them and not to open our Bible. But we are called to take a stand for our faith. And for us who are in Christ, this is an important piece of our identity. We've been given so many instances throughout the scriptures and items and ways in which we need to stand and believe in. In Romans 5.2, we're called to stand in grace. In 1 Corinthians 15.1, we are called to stand in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 16.13, we need to stand in courage and strength. 2 Corinthians 1.24, we stand in faith. Galatians 5.1 calls us to stand in Christian liberty. Philippians 1.27 calls us to stand in Christian unity. And Philippians 4.1 calls us to stand with our Lord. We are called to stand and be steadfast, to have your foot in the mud. And because of these foundations and the guidance of the word that we're reminded of throughout these scriptures, we're reminded of what the ultimate goal is in Colossians 4.12. Colossians 4.12 says this, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayer, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Church, that is our goal, to stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Not in the will of Patrick, not in the will of Kathy, but the will of God is what keeps you grounded and steadfast in your life. When those troubles come along, know that the steadfastness of Christ can take over those and let your life keep going. We are called to be bold and perfect before the throne of grace. It goes on and says, who keeps you? So this is the first time in this short eight verses that we hear the phrase, he keeps you. This is a translation from the Hebrew word shamar. And what it translates specifically to is to keep or to preserve. And what we're reminded of is this continual theming going to see through all of the songs of ascent that God is keeping us and God is preserving us through our times of struggle. It takes me back to watching over friends at camp when you go camping when you're younger and you're younger and you want to stay up all night, but you're afraid of everything around there and the environment you're in because you don't know where you're at. So what do you do? You put your backs together and then one person takes a real quick nap and the other person watches out for you while you're taking a quick nap. And then you just trade off. You have each other's backs in that moment. You're keeping each other safe and you're preserving the life of the person around you. But one thing that I thought was interesting up to this point 
If we know that the psalmist is walking to Jerusalem and he's on this pilgrimage, he's aware of these dangers. Has he mentioned them at all? It was one thing that came to my mind because as of right now, there's no mention of a danger. And what it reminds me of here is that the psalmist is so enthralled by the help that he's receiving from the Lord and the preservation and the steadfastness that he has that we see no mention of it, even though we know that he is worried about it. His faith is keeping him grounded in what he knows to be true. It says, he who keeps you will not slumber. Church, this should be confidence for us. Because what happens when we go to sleep? We become completely susceptible to the entire environment that we're in. We're in a subconscious. You can't, most people don't hear anything, and you're going to sleep for an extended amount of time. So whatever happens around you, you're unaware of. The psalmist that knows, that writes this, knows that if he falls into a slumber, he is still going to be protected by a creator who doesn't sleep on him, by a creator who doesn't go asleep, by a creator who doesn't close his eyes, by a creator who is constantly worrying about the protection and the preservation of his people who love him. We have a confidence that our God is always watching us. And if we look in the Old Testament in 1 Kings, we can be reminded of this in the story of Elijah. We know that Elijah is on the run through some of the story. And we know that there's Obadiah and Jezebel. And and all of these factors are making up most of the story. But you have Elijah who is a prophet of God. And then you have 450 other men who are prophets of Baal. And what does Elijah do? Elijah tells them to meet him on Mount Carmel. He says, bring me two calves. Cut them into pieces. I'll put them on my altar. You put the other one on your altar. And then we will call out to our God and we will see who sets it on fire. And what happens? 450 men could not get Baal to set that altar on fire for them. But this is what Elijah says in 1 Kings 18, 27. He says, and so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and cried and said, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. He was making a mockery of their God because he wasn't a true God. They were serving a deity who they had falsely made up. And what does he say? He says, he is sleeping. He's not constantly watching over his people because only the true God of Israel is the God who will. And we know that the story goes on. He soaks everything in water. And what happens? Our God who doesn't sleep or slumber set it ablaze because he preserves his people. Church, for the psalmist and for us, this should be an encouragement. 
especially during this season of our trying times and our Advent season, that as we celebrate it and we go through our struggles, maybe you've lost a family member, maybe you're going through something yourself that is causing you a problem right now, but know that your God does not sleep during that time and he is always providing you with what you need. Church, as we're walking, as we're running, as we're sleeping, or, we're mar- or as you know, the psalmist may have been marching through, they can be assured that the God of Israel, who was keeping them safe, will watch over their travels. Psalms 138.7 says this, Though I walk in the midst of my trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Even in the midst of my trouble, you have delivered me. You keep me safe because of the steadfastness that I have grounded in you. Church, I can promise you that God will keep you and he will preserve you for his glory according to his will and not yours. Our final point is God protects you. I went ahead and I I coupled this all four together. So we could have easily have broken these down into two more points. And I say that because this is where we continually see that shamar word. So we could look at it as keep or preserve. But I think here we see two things. We see some protections and we see promises. In verses five through six, it says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor by the moon by night. So what we have is this continual theme that helps us realize that God is still in control of the situation. He says, the shade on your right hand. He said, that's the Lord. I don't know if you've been to Jerusalem. You've been in the Middle East. Maybe you've just been out west during the middle of summer. But that sun can be treacherous on you. So just imagine that as the psalmist and his crew that he was with, as they're walking through to the city of Jerusalem in the middle of the afternoon, how treacherous the heat and the sun that is bearing down on him is. Just something else that the Lord is protecting him from. But we can reference this specifically back to the Exodus. So remember when Moses is going to the Pharaoh and he's saying, let my people go. What happens if Pharaoh's heart's hardened and he doesn't let him go? So multiple plagues come on until he's finally just take them. I'm done with this. Get them out of here. I, I, I'm rid of, I want rid of all these plagues. But as they were traveling through the wilderness after God delivered them from the Pharaoh, what did he do? He gave them a cloud of protection to keep them from the sun. God is infinite in all of his wisdom, and he takes care of his people down to the smallest detail of their life. And we can see that this care is provided by God as well in other verses of the Old Testament. In Psalms 91.1, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Isaiah 4.6, and there will be a tabernacle for shade in the daytime from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from the storm and rain. Isaiah 25.4 says, for you have been a strength to the poor, 
a strength to the needy in distress, and a refuge from the storm and a shade for my heart. Church, we serve an amazing Father who protects his people in their time of need. And as, he was, he, as I'm reading through these, I was reminded we were in Disney a couple years ago, and we're in Toy Story Land in Hollywood Studios, and this absolute monsoon torrential downpour comes down. And I pull out this little traveling umbrella that's about this big around. It can't be more than a foot and a half wide, thinking that this is going to protect me from all of the rain that is coming down upon us. So I throw Amber and the girls underneath a bathroom, kind of had an overhang on it, and here I am standing in the rain like a dummy that doesn't know what he's doing while everyone watches me. And what happens? The wind and the rain tore the umbrella up and flipped it inside out. So by the time this was done, I am, I'm just completely drenched. I went through this monsoon and, and this torrential downpour completely unprotected. And that was one thing that kind of came to my mind is that in moments like that in our life, God doesn't allow you to go unprotected with what he's doing for you. If he is delivering you, he's going to sustain you. He is going to give you that protection. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see story after story after story of his goodness that is displayed in the protection of his people. And then day or by night, I thought, and I thought this would, the wording was very uh, you know, figurative right here. So he says, by, strike you by day, nor by the moon at night. Well, one thing during this time that people were worried about when they were traveling by night, you would hear this phrase, moonstruck. And what this was is they thought the moon was causing a, a, a mental issue with them where they would go, uh, you know, from my, my research, they thought they would go loopy. And they, were, they considered this being called moonstruck. So they were actually very legitimately scared and worried about this because obviously it would change their mental state and would make them more susceptible to times on the road of, with bandits or thieves, and it would make them more susceptible to that. But what we have is a figurative language that is being used here, but from that figurative language, we can bring out one simple thing. There's nothing from day from night that can harm us while God is on watch. He is our shade, he is our shadow, and he is our covering during these times, and he is our safety. I think too many times we pray to God during our despair and our troubles, but we don't spend enough time thanking him for the things in our life that we should be thankful for. You know, we go to him when we need something or we go to him when we have a struggle, but we don't go to him when he gives us what we need. We ask to have circumstances changed or we ask to have ourselves brought out of the specific circumstance that he's in. But God is keeping us through that circumstance because at the end of the day, he's the one that will see glory through it. We ask for more money or we ask for more, a bigger house. But at the end of the day, God says, you don't need that. I've given you everything that you need. 
But let me be real with you one minute. God has you in the specific moment, in the specific journey, and in the specific season of your life that you are in for a reason. He may have you on a journey that you never expected to be on. He may have you in a relationship that you never expected to be in. You may have a job you may never even have thought about before in your entire life. But God has you there for a specific moment, for a specific reason. But I think it's important, too, that because we know that God created the heavens and the earth. And if he created the heavens and the earth, if he created the stars, if he created everything in between by simply stating it into existence, God is going to be there for you when you need him. But I want you to understand that God has you in these moments. He is going to keep you through them as well. And as a believer in Christ, I think we have been entrusted by God to be put through these moments to be given these situations that we never expected. Because it's easy to be worried or scared of the circumstance we are facing in the journey that's set before us, but we know that through it all, we have the assurance of Christ that he is working it all out for his good. It might not be for our good, but the end of the story, it'll be his glory and for his purpose. And we are sealed through his promises. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life in verse 7. Some versions, depending on, we're preaching out of the ESV. But some versions use preserve instead of keep. So we could read it as the Lord will preserve you from all evil. He will preserve your life. It's important to understand that we can use these interchangeably as well. But one thing I want us to focus on is the importance of the word all. Because the psalmist was very specific. Not just any evil, not just any circumstance, but the Lord will preserve you from all of it. All being the whole or the quantity of something. The literal definition. God will keep you from the whole of evil that is in the world. The psalmist is saying, I'm not being going to be specific. I'm just going to generalize it in everything. Kidner, another pastor who I was reading a commentary of, said this. He said, in light of other scriptures, to be kept from evil does not simply imply a cushioned life, but it does imply a well-armed one. But what do we need to do to be a well-armed Christian. Being equipped as a Christian with the word of God allows us to be armed for all things. We just read Ephesians 6, 11 and 6, 13. It tells us that we are to stand and we are to have the armor of God at any moment. We are called to read our Bible daily. We are called to pray to him daily. But we are Christians who are called to stand ready at the helm, ready for a battle that Christ has put us in. And as a believer who has received Christ, who has been justified, who has been regenerated, and who is continually going through a process of sanctification, we should 
be ready to jump in at a moment's notice for any evil that is thrown at us. And we may not like it. We may not want to be in it. But church, as a Christian, we are called to be in it. Church, we think being a Christian should be easy. But the Bible tells us completely the opposite. Let's look at Paul as an example. Thrown in and out of jail. Wrote most of the New Testament while he was in prison. There's a pastor who is famous for saying, if Paul was supposed to have been rich and famous, then God forgot to tell him about it. Church, it is never going to be easy to live a Christian lifestyle, especially in the world around us. We see Christians being murdered and Christians being persecuted on a daily basis. We are privileged for being able to meet in a building like this. When in other countries, we see our brothers and sisters who try to stand for Christ being taken down every single day. But church, I can promise you, it's never going to be easy. You will come across people in your life who are atheists, who are agnostic, who will constantly cut you down and constantly cut the Christ that you follow down. But we're reminded of what we have to do in Matthew 16. Starting at verse 24, it says that Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Church, it's very, very plain and self-explanatory. We are called to take up ourselves daily to take our cross and follow Christ. And trust me, it can be difficult. There are days you wake up, that you're like, is it worth it? But trust me, when you open your eyes, Christ is the reason that your eyes are open. Acts 1.8 says, Saul approved of their killing. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. In 2 Corinthians 4.9, it says, we are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. Church, that should bring you peace through all of this. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. We are never destroyed, church. There's a beauty in the last three words that we have there. There's a beauty in the deity, and there's a beauty in the goodness of God. We serve a God who doesn't slumber and a God who doesn't take his eyes off of us. A God who protects us, a God who arms us with his armor and puts us in positions of uncertainty, but he never allows us to be defeated or to be destroyed. And he is constantly caring for us and preserving our lives. And then finally, verse eight, we see it closes out with a promise. The Lord will keep your going and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The promise there is time forth and forevermore. We are promised that it is not just now and the moment that we are in. And this should be joyful for us. This is something that we can jump up and down about. 
It's a promise that as we are celebrating during the Advent season can bring us peace because we're not promised to just be preserved and protected and cared for for a specific moment in your life. Instead, you were promised to be preserved, protected, and cared for from now until forevermore. We are promised to be cared for for eternity through your coming and through your going in and out. This means through your good times and through your bad, through your times when you struggle and through the times when you understand or have a problem with understanding and the discernment. God is preserving you through his promises and through his work, not your own. And he is doing so from now until the end. But we get caught up in talks of work when we hear that. And we, have done, and we think we've done enough. But we don't live by a works-based salvation, at least not in the way that we like to think about it. There's nothing that you can do or I can do that will ever be enough to keep us from going to hell. Because trust me, church, every one of us in this church this week, we have sinned and we have separated ourselves from God. There's only one person who can save us, and he saved it by one work at one point in time on the cross, and that was Jesus. He is the only person that ever lived a perfect life, and he died a death to promise us that we will forever be a part of his family. Church, this was the result of us having a life that we didn't deserve. But God in his perfectness created a way to preserve us and to draw us in to the folds of his family. And that is through Christ Jesus as an offering of a free gift. I want to close out and read Ephesians 2. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus. Grace and kindness so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, for it is a gift from God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. Church, this is the good news of the gospel. But sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's easy to forget and we lose sight of where we're going and what the end goal is, but we can be promised that we have a security that we can never lose. Our preservation, our help, and our hope was secured through the death on the cross. When Jesus hung on that cross, he breathed in and took that wrath on him that was meant for you and meant for me so that we could be presented as blameless before our God so that we could stand bold and perfect at the throne of grace. Let me be very clear that if you know Christ, this is your promise. It's a guarantee. There's nothing you can do. I can promise you, church, that Christ did not go to the cross with the mere thought of potential salvation on his mind. Christ went to the cross with your name on his mind so that now and forevermore you can be helped, you could be cared for and kept, you could be protected 
and that you would be part of his family with that secure salvation that he gives you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.